Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. I've done over 400 of them by now, and if this is new to you and you'd like to see previous ones, go to batgap.com and look under the past interviews menu and you'll see all the previous ones organized in various ways. This show is made possible by the support of appreciative listeners and viewers, and so if you appreciate it and feel like supporting it, there is a donate button on every page of the site, and also a donate page that explains the reasons why in greater detail. So my guests today are Patricia and Bill Klum. And you know what? Before I even read anything biographical about them, I'm going to read a little something that somebody named Julie in Olympia, Washington sent in. You probably know Julie, Patricia and Bill. She said, I once heard Adyashanti say that 99% of the people that come to him need more psychological work. I see that most of the spiritual teachers are mostly focusing on verbal teachings around awakening, which has its place, of course, but seems to be out of balance in the sense that most people's deeper awakening is obscured by emotional and mental patterns that have yet to be integrated. Patricia is one of the few teachers I know who is operating from an awakened heart compassion in action, and really helping people to directly heal and integrate patterns. I've seen many examples of this work transforming people's actual lives in very concrete and down-to-earth ways. Okay, so having read that, let me just read a, a bio here that explains their work in a little bit greater detail. So together, Bill and Patricia support you to build a foundation providing tools for strength in the emotional and spiritual domain, yielding flow and freedom to be who you have come here to be. A life of awakening is not one in which we never fall into a dark, dark valley. It is one in which, when we fall, we have learned how to move through it. We develop emotional muscle in order to rise. This is the inner work of the soul. Patricia and Bill guide you to that which is unhealed, exposing how these hurts and emotions rule our lives. You're able to face yourself, learn to untangle from these aspects that have a powerful impact and influence. In the discovery of new awareness and integration, you begin to experience wholeness. Embrace all emotion, letting go of resistance, and live in the present moment. With sensitivity, strength, and skill, Bill and Patricia facilitate working through levels of trauma, pain, grief, and anger in order to guide people to their own divine nature. As these wounds heal, you are able to discover the depths of self-acceptance and forgiveness. So, I could ask you if that's a pretty good intro, but you probably wrote it, so you probably think it is, right? <laughs> um, what would you like to say by way of comment or elaboration on that to begin with? You know, when we're sitting with people and we're working with people, a lot what happens during retreat, of course, few words can describe. So what we're witnessing is the ripple effect of a weekend and how people begin to open to new ways of being, you know, who they really are. So they're not in life um, negotiated by past hurt. So why does that happen when somebody goes on a retreat with you? <laughs> well, um, what we've witnessed is there's a lot of um, protection around the heart where people have been traumatized, hurt. could be from this lifetime, another lifetime. And those are the filters that people view life through. So 
when those filters, we call some people call it the ego, the ego mind. We see it as if it were a guardian angel. We feel there's nothing wrong or bad about the ego. It's just it's also in transformation. And so in the place of where those filters filter life, this is how we view life through through the hurt, through the pain, through the suffering. And what we believe is this work actually is the undoing of all that. When people begin to emote, when the emotional body starts moving, it's the opening. Regarding protection, you know, it's like there obviously there are times where protection is appropriate. An egg needs a shell, a fetus needs a, a womb. I mean, we could think of many other examples. And so you wouldn't want to remove protection prematurely. It could be deadly. So how do you remove, maybe remove isn't the right word, but how does one balance the necessity of protection with the desire to be unprotected and, and vulnerable and how does that process proceed in a way which doesn't actually cause more wounding if one becomes prematurely vulnerable yeah that's a really good question so how our weekend is set up or working with another because we work with them one-on-one -on -one, is set up is that the space is a space that's held which what is revealed is ready to move into healing so it's an inquiry. It's not a, um, a forcing into. It's not a reliving an event. It's not a, a, a exposure of what's, what is still, like you said, in the beauty of the protection, still needing the protection. So what we find is when we meet people, at, we'll meet with them in a one-on-one -on -one session. We'll be in conversation. And we'll know in the meeting, as they know, if the weekend is open and available for them. They'll know if they're ready to move into whatever is opening for them next. You know, this is something that doesn't happen all at once. Usually it's for people who are really in a deep inquiry and they may have done a lot of work which supports them in the moment they're in. Everything has brought us to this moment. So when a layer or that thin shell begins to drop, and we, the vulnerability and the rawness is actually letting us know that we're actually on our inward journey. So what happens, Friday is the plowing the ground, we call it, is, is going right into the resistance and the protection. And once people discover their own, then they're beginning to release already. And so on the Saturday, as we moved into the resistance, then the work comes in and this light comes in. Everything that's not of love or light begins to surface. And then that we work around the room with that. And then once people face, we face everything head on. If it's fear, if it's anger, we face it head on. And as we move into that, there's an opening. And then Sunday is the filling up. So there's when there's an emptying out of that, there's also the filling up of, of moving from that place of contraction into wholeness. So the wholeness supports that. And we may spend a lifetime moving through layers of protection that we're not even aware of. But when it does come into our awareness, that is the opportunity to actually heal that. Do the two of you feel like you've completed that process? Or do you, do you also kind of still work through and release layers of protection? Yeah, another beautiful question. It's never ending and always new beginnings. So it's sort of like the wider, higher, deeper we go, there's more clearing for us. And that is why we can hold space for another. 
you know, because as we gather together in, as a group in a gathering, we hold each other. So there's no higher or lower, bigger or better, whatever the expression would be. We're right there in that moment in the breath. Um, we've had people come to us say it's like we're midwives. You know, when the, we look in their eyes, they recognize that they can move through whatever they're moving through into whatever's next for them. They can trust and feel safe in that space. Do you think that there are or ha- have ever been beings on this earth who did work, had worked through it all? I mean, somebody like Jesus, for instance, you know, some, some of the great saints and sages. Do you think that they've completely unraveled all the sheaths that, that um, protect the heart and, and have acquired or, un, or revealed such an inner strength that they don't need protection? Or do you think that to be a human being is to have work yet to do? <laughs> I, I feel that to be a human being, we're in constant evolution. So I feel that as consciousness moves and shifts and opens around us, then in this form, there's always places that we can inquire because we're in physical form. Now, when we move into non-physical form, you know, I haven't spent time there yet, (laughs) but my experience in the energy is that there, yeah, the protection isn't needed. But here, definitely on the planet, it keeps us in life. It keeps us grounded on the planet. It keeps us being able to engage in life and be in life all around us. You know, and and, and another part of the question also is that, you know, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, many avatars, we may not even know their names. There was willingness and surrender there for them to where they opened through the thresholds of awakening it and yes they came in at a very high vibration and i'm sure even in their own form there is always something to transmute or to take a look at where it's not even in our awareness right because in in the way of of the subconscious or the unconscious moves eight to hundred nine hundred times faster than the actual conscious mind so in the weekend when we sit still in that stillness and in that quiet place is where all that needs to come up comes up. It floats to the surface to be healed, to be looked at, to be transmuted back into the light. So I believe they had their own things they went through, of course. Hmm. I've heard from various, I've heard various sages say something to the, the effect that even if you work th- in various terminologies, even if you work through all your own stuff, completely then you've got you've got the whole world to take on that you you know you become like a washing machine for all the trauma of the world yeah absolutely we see the ripple effect so it starts with us then it moves in family you know so community family then community and global consciousness awareness and the consciousness we're in right now like the different you know we're 2017 on the west coast is a different consciousness and across the ocean where there's a war zone, right? So we're having this opportunity to create the shift in our own heart so we can be that in the world. You know, that's the beauty of what's happening now on the planet is everyone's being invited. So we don't have to feel like we don't make a difference of what we see happening to our brothers and sisters, you know? We can right. start with us first. Yeah. I'm, uh, Bill, were you going to say something? 
No, I just really what uh, kind of awoken me to all of this was uh, the quote that Gandhi said, you know, become the change. And I thought, my God, you know, like it was like the first time I ever heard it. And I said, wow, that's what I can do in life. And so in that place of his awareness that brought that awareness to me was my opening, was becoming the change that I wanted to see in the world. Yeah. As I see it, people don't have a choice but to influence the world. Whatever that influence may be, we all constantly radiate an influence. And there are a lot of people who are waking up these days, spiritually speaking, and um, obviously they're having an influence beyond what they actually say to anybody or actually do. There's a sort of a constantly radiating or emanating influence and um, yeah, just to, to, to come back to a point I just suggested is people, it kind of works both ways people do feel and maybe you can comment on this that they take on stuff you know and maybe that comes back to the vulnerability point it's like as they become more open and develop higher consciousness they find themselves well it even shows up I mean some, some people comment that a lot of spiritual teachers seem to be having all kinds of health problems and why is that and are they taking on karma or what's going on I mean do you, do you have any thoughts on that yeah, yeah absolutely so for us I can speak of myself you know because that's what I know of um so as we work with people, the counterbalance of that is the self-care. So just as much energy I put out, I need to put that back in self. So what that looks like for me is having my, my own meditation time, having my own writing, having my own walk in nature, you know, physical body care. Because when my, my being is drained, that's when everything stays. So what happens is in this expression in your heart, you know, as you are able to hold more or be with people more, there's more people that are ready to be with. So it's always a rechecking of self-care. And that's actually a big one of one of our practices with others is and when the in-between retreat is really supporting people with their self-care. So that as they move, they, that's what happens. They begin to strengthen in their heart, in their inner being, and, and other energies don't stick on them. Or they feel they can move with them and use it as an opening instead of something to shut them down. That's actually what happens with the people we work with. They learn to be strong in it. Yeah. You want to add to that, Bill, before I ask anything? Well, I really believe that the core of us or the background of us is presence and joy. Happiness comes and goes. So in the place of when the emotional body starts healing, joy becomes a strength. Presence becomes a strength. And in presence, of course, there's love. And so that's the emotional backdrop as it strengthens that when life comes at us, it could be blissful and it may not be so blissful. But it doesn't really matter which one comes in because you have that groundedness in that core of you and your being of joy. So that's the emotional body that we speak of that builds into that strength when life comes at you. You have the ability to come out of the valleys. You can, you know, and relate it to um, other teachers. We honor all teachers. We know that no matter who teaches what, there's been an opening for someone somewhere in this collective effort on, on, on all our parts. Yeah. And so the emotional body, no matter who you are, has to be looked at. 
and and that's the place. And I've heard this quoted. I, you know, that people will look anywhere except for the heart, because it's so uncomfortable. We've been in the mental body for a long time, so that transition from here to here is a long journey. And so we're just discovering the heart. You both mentioned the word strength a lot in what in what you just said. You know, that that's what comes to my mind when I listen to you and, you know, read some of your blog posts. And to use another vulnerability metaphor, it's like, you know, if you plant a sapling, you usually have to put in stakes and, and ropes to support it because it's not strong enough to hold up against the wind or whatever. And eventually, you know, it gets strong enough and you can remove those. And... As I understand it and have experienced it in my own life, there's a deep reservoir of strength at the core of our being. And if we can take recourse to that, then it strengthens mind, body, everything. Uh, just the way, I don't know, nutrients would strengthen a tree if, if, the, if it was planted in fertile ground. So um, what um, methods do you use to enable people to have access to that inner strength so that they can become more self-sufficient um, even possibly to the point of not needing your services anymore because they, they're a, a tree that doesn't need the, the stakes any longer. Well, that's the purpose, actually, is, is not so much to create more students, but to teach people how to master their own emotional body so they can go out into the world and begin to give from that place. And so where it comes from, from us is the willingness, the surrender. And we have one saying, how, how deep is your yes? Mm-hmm. Sounds like you know. a Bee Gees song, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in, in the depth of our yes t- to be willing to do this, you know, we've went through powerful thresholds that have brought us to the other side of the emotional body. The very thing that I resisted actually was my opening as I followed it. It opened me into this. So at the vibration that we live at, we demonstrate it, we live it. And people see that. They see the light. We walk into a room and sometimes people just start crying. They feel safe. They feel the love. They feel whatever they're feeling in the moment. I can't explain exactly what they're feeling, but we see the tears right away. They're so ready for their hearts to open. You know, mankind has waited for a long time for love to come to the planet. That love is going to come through us. Mm-hmm. So us, the us meaning the collective. Us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, what you were saying is accurate. They'll come, they'll get stronger, they'll learn the practices, they'll go through thresholds, and then they go into the world. And what's beautiful is they'll come back, you know, they'll go for one, two, three, four years, and they'll come back. They always know they can come back, and they can rest with us for a weekend. So it's... It, that when they come back, it's not from moving away from pain or how to, you know, have cope with pain. It's more of just to rest. It's like coming back home just for a weekend. You know, the door's always open. So the practices that we offer are very clear, very simple, not new to us. But what we found is that when you can add them with whatever is calling you, with other, other practices you do, it helps ground and solidify what's moving in you. So it's moving the body, it's walking, or somebody, if someone wants to put on music and move the body. So when you're feeling an energy or an emotion, move with it. Move with it, move with it, move with it. 
Because one thing is people can be quite good at meditation, yet if a emotion is moving, it's hard, you know, it's challenging to meditate. So we say move first, move the body first, whether that's walking, whether that's dancing, whatever it is for you. And meditation, drinking water, you know, journaling, writing. Um, and in your journaling and writing, it's the the it's an inquiry. And it becomes sort of your record book with your own opening. You know, show me, show me what I can't see. You're asking your inner being. All of that. So those are the practices. Is there a flip side in terms of, you know, there's the term spiritual bypassing. And sometimes spiritual seekers are guilty of that and they... They ignore stuff or repress stuff or, oh, I don't want to put my attention there and that kind of thing. And uh, they can get very sort of skittish or gun-shy about life because they're always trying to avoid anything uncomfortable and all. Is there a sort of a a flip side to that where one can indulge too much in putting one's attention on all sorts of inner muck, you know, and um, and in, in a way exaggerate or exacerbate it um, and, and if, if that is true how does one find the balance point between dwelling on this stuff uh, maybe obsessively almost or you know pushing it away and trying to ignore it yeah. well, that, that's a really good question so you know we're, the emotional body we're speaking of is the unintegrated body so it's the pain body that's out in the world and then what happens is the emotional body matures and you feel emotion. So it takes a little bit of time for that to um, unstick itself. So people will be aware that they're recycling the that pain, you know, getting into the muck too much. And then so we're then we a walk with them, show them, um, process with them so that they can realize that they don't need to spend their time there that they can bring themselves out into a new awareness, you know, dip in a little bit more. It's never a a, uh, recommended to try to do it all at once, you know, layer by layer, because that's what helps us build our strength. So we have, you know, we have had um, clients that are very enthusiastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, so it's about allowing them to pull back a little bit, showing them from the observer aspect, okay, what is moving, and remembering what already has moved in their life. Because a lot of times when we're, we stay in that sort of yuck, as you said, then we're also not being aware of how much we have progressed in life. We're not really having the full image or perspective about what's actually happening so that's how we support them coming into that perspective so they can almost do like a record keeping Hmm. go oh okay okay great okay this still hurts a bit but i've also had this happen which is different now so a big a big piece of this is that how we view ourselves Mm -hmm. And so you too, or people in general, just people in general, how we view ourselves (laughs) and and us too, of course, you know, in the place of feeling that we're a victim here to this planet. And so the victim actually 
is is a light being beginning to heal. So moving and healing the emotional body in the form of the victim, we, you know, the victim views the world as God or spirit doing something to them and are yet not able to recognize that it's the opportunity. It's the opportunity to move from reaction in life into responding in life, seeing the world as your oyster because you've moved past that. So it's healing beyond the victim. Because yeah, this is the, the planet of awakening. This is the attitude adjustment planet. You know, and so we're here together to really work our way collectively, consciously, uh, to work our way through these uh, thresholds. Yeah, I like that. Um, I, I definitely think, and you know, most people like ourselves, people who are interested in this kind of thing, are f familiar and comfortable with the notion that you know, Earth is is a learning place, and that we're here to evolve and to grow and to, you know, that that the experiences that we encounter in in the big picture can design to facilitate our growth and evolution, even though they might seem unpleasant at times uh, you know and, yeah. and yeah I mean and you can take extreme examples of that and it's a little hard to accept the point but you know if you th if you really zoom out and think of the whole universe as this big evolution machine then ultimately everything is is conducive in one way or another to you know evolution of consciousness at least that's the way yeah. I see it yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the depth that we're being called to in our emotional body is to allow ourselves to move through these thresholds. For example, pain, grief, uh, fear are some of the biggest things that humanity runs from. And yet those are the great thresholds that we can move through when, we, when we're willing to face them head on emotionally is where the heart comes in. We really start discovering the strength of our own hearts we can do this. We can move past that. And it's the undoing of the suffering and pain that we live in that we think is just how it is. And so, you know, beginning to move to the other side, what would that be like to live beyond the pain, beyond the fear and beyond the grief? And even the grief, you know, for many years, I thought, God, this is so awful because we've all experienced grief somehow. And the planet, you know, will experience it one time or another. And I was meditating on that and the grief kept increasing and increasing and I'm saying, well, I can't take any more of this, but I, my yes is so strong, I'm going to stay with it. Even if it takes my life, I'm going to stay with this yes. And it, there, was an, there was an explosion. I call that perturbation where the energy of spirit pushes in so hard, there's, there's like into an atom and it explodes and it expands. And in that place of expansion, it's irreversible. We'll never be back at that place again because we've moved through the energy of that. So that is the expansion and it's even un unrecognizable at times, but it is a conscious shift that is irreversible when you move to the other side. Is fear still there? Yes. As you said earlier, you know, there's a good fear. There's a healthy anger. There's a grief that's healthy. And what I discovered in the feeling of that grief was actually the depth of love I've held in my heart. Hmm. Is that what you were alluding to earlier when you said that your greatest challenge resulted in your biggest opening or something? Yes. Yeah. And was that grief like um, specific or was it this sort of 
on amorph amorphous grief that you weren't attaching to anything in particular, but it was just kind of this existential malaise that you were kind of like feeling. Yes. It, it was just grief. There was nothing I could attach it to because I really scanned through to say, Spirit, what is this moving in my body? They said, we're just moving grief, so open to it. And in that opening to it, it, it became so intense. I said, well, I, I, I can't take anymore. And then that explosion occurred and there was that opening. I said, oh my God, this is what it's like to follow the feelings of all of this. It, it moves us into the opening of now where there's more light, there's more movement, and the vibration of wherever we move in life, people feel us. We, we'll stand in Starbucks, and then within 10 minutes, it begins to quiet. Somebody always will come to us and talk to us or something. It's just, we carry that in life. It's, it, it doesn't even need to be in words. People just feel your presence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you want to add anything there, Patricia? No, I'm enjoying this. Okay, good. It's been my understanding, see what you guys think about this, that the mechanics of the way emotions and pent-up stuff work is that there, there is a physiological correlate. If, when we're talking about grief and anger and all kinds of trauma and hurt and things and there were you know, protectiveness of the heart and all these things we've been discussing, uh, we're not just talking psychologically or emotionally. There is a physiological correlate to these. There, it per perhaps even could be understood if, if physiologists knew what to look for in terms of on the neurological level or something. But we ordinarily don't feel it that way well maybe we do i mean feel free to interrupt me i mean there's usually probably a physical sensation associated with these emotions do, would you agree that the most efficient way of, of resolving this stuff has something to do with tuning into that physiological basis of it the physiological sensation rather than sort of abstracting it into just um, mental or emotional states but getting right down to the physiology Absolutely. Uh -huh. So what we witness is that the emotion is stored on in the body, different right. places in the body. Probably and subtle so, body as well as gross body. Absolutely. Yes. And energetic, all of them, you know, at play. Mind, body, same, same. So as we're working with the energy and as it's moving, people will feel it, you know, tingling of the head, the sore in the side that we put attention on breathe with and as the anger dissolves the the side you know the cramp is gone the heart opens it's all connected every aspect of self is connected when the heart begins to open and heal all those are revealed in the body for sure yeah i've been on long meditation courses where all kinds of strange things were happening, but like I went through this phase where there was this really serious pain in my shoulder, and I hadn't injured it or anything, and, and it just went on and on, and finally it just dissolved, and then it felt like there was this opening or something that, you know, once... You got it. Yeah, and who knows how long it had been buried there, what it really or, was from or anything. Yeah, absolutely, and that's how it happens, you know, is it's after a while at first, you know, we may have things in life that seem to bring this pain, right? <laughs> So all of that. But as we clear and as we clear and as we clear, like you said, it's like, okay, I feel that. It hurts. Don't even know what it's from. There's no words really attached to it. Don't need to know. Don't need no. to know. There's no need to know or even want, you know, it's like the breath. The breath, the attention, the movement. 
into movement. That's why I mentioned at the very beginning, some of the work that we do with people is, you know, you can't really put into words, but we'll do our best with your questions, for sure. Yeah. One metaphor that comes to mind when I think about this kind of thing, about dissolving trauma and all, is, um, you know, like if you had a handful of mud and you wanted to dissolve it, somehow you want to dissolve it so if you just had a cup of water and you threw the mud in the cup it would wouldn't dissolve very well and the water the water would be really muddy but if you had like a, a bucket or a swimming pool or an ocean the the larger the quantity of water the more easily the mud would be dissolved and just disappear so uh that that sort of relates back to what we were saying i think about strength that if if somehow that inner strength can be enlivened to whatever extent it can, then something which could be a huge deal to dissolve if, if our consciousness is just cup-like could just be a, a little blip on the radar that's come and gone if our consciousness is more oceanic. Absolutely, absolutely. So, for myself, my experience of consciousness is love. You know, that's how I experience it. Not the love in a storybook or even in relation, but the Un- unconditional, just the fabric of love. So what we notice in people and what the feedback is that uh, as this is clearing for them, they'll just notice that they'll say walk out of a bank and what used to get them irritated, they actually feel the grace, you know, and they actually get into a great connected conversation with someone at the bank and they walk out and they go, wow, five months ago, you know, that would have really got me upset, you know, and that's how the, the sort of begins to demonstrate their inner work. It's those subtleties of influence where they don't feel uh, like Bill mentioned earlier in reaction to where they feel like they're just there and they're present. They're holding space for whatever is happening and they fall into deep connection with another, you know, and then something moves from that. So it's quite beautiful. Do you want to say anything to that, Bill? No, it just has to come from us. It has to come from within us. And, and you know, people see our work and, you know, everybody has an experience. Whoever is set with us has, has had some sort of transformative experience. And we can't make it happen. We can't make this happen. We can only open to it. And I really believe that the yes from my heart. That was a hard one for me to really learn because I wanted to make it happen. I mean, I spent a lot, hundreds of thousands of dollars chasing this thing, trying to be happy, only only to come back to the same point of not knowing what to do with this emotional body. And I think the demonstration is here now for us to really learn what to do with this and how it's really the opportunity to really open to everything that we've come here to become and to be and we can, it's almost like heaven on earth beginning to open from within us. Mm. That, that's a really good point. That, that's kind of like tunes right into something I was about to ask that was bouncing off of Patricia's statement about standing in line at the bank. I mean, do you, with all you've been through and all the work you've done on yourselves, um, do you sort of sometimes feel like you're living in heaven on earth? You're, you're living in this yeah. sort of blissful state and in mundane circumstances like bank lines and 
you know, supermarkets and stuff, the, the bliss just kind of spills over and engulfs everyone you perceive, and you just, you know, just feel this joy and love for people in ordinary circumstances. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'll feel vulnerable, and I'll feel someone, you know, someone will bring me for tea or to tears just serving coffee. You know, I'll feel raw sometimes, where, you know, all of that. Well, here's a good example. Were you done? Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure I didn't interrupt you. Um, I was in Walmart. I, I don't go there very often. It just seems like a dreadful place for me to go to. <laughs> Home Depot is much more fun or Costco. But um, anyway, I was standing in line. I had I needed an ice cooler, and it was really reasonable there. And I was standing in line. There was this lady with a cart she had four kids hanging off and they were just really being awful and she's trying to get through the line and I'm standing in line and here's people just glaring at him people just so upset with these kids and this lady and I was starting to feel the same thing and then I heard Spirit says Bill this is not who you are do something about this don't don't stand here and do nothing so I walked up to the lady and says hi wow you've got your hands full here today with all these kids and I started talking to the kids and just touching him. I said, is there anything I can help you with? Oh, oh no, just thank you for being so patient. This was really hard. I says, no, I get that. Is there anything I can do? She says, you've done enough already. And when I turned around and looked at everybody, I noticed that there was a whole attitude shift in the lines when I was willing just to be in my heart and to go there. So it's kind of like that. That's just one example that really stands out for me. Yeah, that's really nice. I was getting off a plane recently, and the plane had landed, and it was taking forever to get people to, for people to get off, and and uh, it was hot, and it was everybody was tired. It was late at night; the plane had been delayed, and there was some poor little girl who was who was just screaming, "I have to potty! I have Aww. to potty!" And, and it's like some people were feeling impatient, but most most of the people were were sort of you know get out of the way, let her get off. You know, yeah. <laughs> there, there was this sort of it's almost like when there's a, a natural disaster, like a big snowstorm, it brings out the best in people, and everybody starts talking to neighbors that they've never talked to before. You know, it brings out their humanity. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know why I told you that story, but it's, it, it it does bring out a point sweet. that that it's sweet. And there's this, that you see that, and and when there's big snowstorms and just catastrophes, or you know, an earthquake or something, and everybody it somehow evokes the humanity in people, and and whereas mundane circumstances tend to numb it or or you know suppress it, but people rise to the occasion and. And, uh, you know, it brings out their better nature. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk into, speak into, was that uh, the beauty about how, like the strength of my own heart, my experience, how it ripples into my family. You know, my, I don't speak to my family as I'm speaking to you, you know, or Bill. They have their life, and I'm the youngest of five, very busy, professional people. And yet, when I'm with my mother, and I'm with my um, brothers and sister, there's this, uh, this beautiful space, where as, we've, as I've moved around and become more of me, is what I call it, you know, when my heart opens, that to just stay in the space with them. And what comes back is they begin to use a language that I haven't even spoken to them about. 
you know, like they begin to say my heart feels or, you know, wow, I'm just noticing I'm feeling vulnerable today. So it's kind of beautiful that sweetness about what we were speaking of earlier about how you carry it without words, how it is you and it is your life. Yeah, there's a saying in India that when the mangoes are ripe, the branches bow down so it's easy for people to pick the mangoes. And uh, it, it speaks to humility. It almost sounds like a, not hum, humble to speak of attuning to the level of consciousness of the people you're interacting with because it kind of presumes that you're in a higher one. But what's really meant by that example is just that you know, someone who is really humble doesn't think of themselves as higher or others as lower or anything. There's, there's just a natural ability to attune to the circumstances. And, and there's the, the sort of the range or capacity to attune to circumstances of a, a wide variety of types, I think. Whereas, you know, without that range, people tend to be locked into this level and others are locked into that level. And then we have all this strife and conflict and disagreement because we, you know, we just can't, there's no Venn diagram of overlap between, between yeah. our, our world and the other world. Yeah, and I, for myself, in my opening, in my path, I want, I, I, if it wasn't happening in my heart, it wasn't happening. So I wanted it to, my life, as far as I know for sure, I have this one physical being here, and this time to enjoy it, however my time is, however long my time is. So for me, what you just said was, is my absolutely deepest core value I have to be able to be with everyone in my life not that we won't have our ups and downs like any relating but to be with people in my life to meet people where they're at who they are you know to that's what excites me hmm. yeah I really I really felt that when you talked about the mangoes or whatever plant fruit that was how the trees Humility is such an important piece, and it's a rare commodity on the planet, true humility. And I feel that collectively we could all use more of that. And, yeah. I, and I believe the thresholds that I talk to, you know, the fear, the anger, the grief, the victim, when we've had the willingness to move through this and just open to that, when we move to the other side of that, just a plethora of energy opens consciously and it has a ripple effect where one person willing to do the work and say yes i do it for self first because you know the love has to come from within me to another and so when we do it for self first we hold the space for maybe a hundred thousand people just by our willingness to say yes to the opportunity that's right in front of us. And so what we one of the things we say is learn to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Because when we sit still, like in the weekend, you know, this energy, this subconscious mind starts slowing down and all these feelings that people haven't taken the time to feel now are coming up and are saying, God, I don't want to feel this. And yet, actually, the pain actually is the medicine. Pain is the medicine to move beyond the suffering. So this is the medicine to bring us to the place of wholeness and from the movement of wholeness into the place of devotion and holiness. 
Yeah, I guess you could say pain is the sort of the the indicator of it, it, it draws our attention, right? It lets us know that there's something that needs to be attended to. I mean, just to take a simple example, if you put your hand on the stove, you feel pain, and it's a good thing you do because you need to take your hand off <laughs> yeah. as quickly as possible. But then it still hurts, even after you've taken your hand off. So why is that? Because if your hand's not on the stove. Well, there's an injury now that needs to be healed, and so the attention on the injury is going to be more healing than ignoring it. Yeah, and, and that's just a physical example, but obviously you're talking about the same, same principle probably applies on the emotional. Yeah. yeah. So we begin to take a look at that which we've been ignoring. Or not even aware of, yeah. like you said, like your shoulder. Sometimes we're not even aware of what emotion. As we mentioned earlier in consciousness, we've spent a lot of time in the mental body. So for a while, often there in the beginning, there's like a thawing out, even if we've been de- dedicated spiritually, you know, and we just haven't known. It hasn't come to an awareness. There's this aspect that is still evolving in us. There's this aspect that is has opportunity to be embraced and included in all of this. Have you ever given much thought to or had experiential glimpses of the higher reaches of emotional or yeah emotional development i'm thinking in terms of like you know you, you hear stories of some of the great saints uh, mirabai or or others who were just and had these incredible hearts and it were just like just oceans of of love and compassion ama is an example is sitting on yeah. the shelf mm-hmm. behind me uh, it's kind of interesting to contemplate the range of possibilities. It, what you're talking about, I don't think, is just, it's not necessarily just a lifetime of dealing with pains and traumas, and, the, and it's just going to be this sort of slog that we have to do for all of our lives working through that kind of stuff. There's really a, goal, a rainbow at, at the end of the path. Um, yeah. And, and not just at the end. I mean, it gets brighter and brighter as we go along. Absolutely. It's really good to mention this, you know, Rick, because as we're processing, as we're healing, as we're moving, it's really remember everyone to remember that we are in movement of evolution and we are, lack of a better word in this moment, but rising to an expression of open mind, divine mind, open heart, where we can be in the realms, infinite realms where compassion can move through every vein that's connected to consciousness, where mercy comes in and quantifies within your physical being so you can offer that depth of healing and that for others and that depth of that fortitude of consciousness. So we do move into a maturity. We just call it emotional maturity, where we can be in that and hold that space. And that each and every heart is so different, as unique as our thumbprint, each and every heart. So, so we all have these wells that are available and just waiting for us. Whatever that well is full of is with you already. And so as you move through those layers of protection, of processing, all that stuff, you begin to tap into that well that's already available and in you. Hmm. of consciousness. Yeah, so getting, yeah, just getting back to that place where, you know, 
when in my meditation I was feeling the grief, not related to anything, just feeling grief, just maybe even global grief, you know, identifying with all of us. And in the movement, when that explosion occurred, and I realized that was the depth of love that I carry within me, I was shocked. I, I had no idea that kind of depth was in me. It was a revealing of who I am. Whereas a man, I've been really uncomfortable. I didn't want people to think of me as too loving because I, I was afraid I, I wouldn't be a man or something if I, I didn't have acceptance about love. And so that brought in a deep acceptance to know this is who I am. And wow, do I feel powerful from this place. It's something I've never experienced. I didn't even think was possible in this lifetime. And so what do I get from this? What, what I really feel that I'm not so much getting, what I'm receiving is freedom. Freedom and fulfillment is what I feel the end result is. I don't even know if there is an end. It's probably not even appropriate to use the word end. But on my journey, this is what's unfolding in me. This is what's moving. Color is different. Taste is different. How I view people is different. How I view the world is different. Mm. Everything shifts. Yeah, so when you had that big awakening, it kind of sounds like it was a watershed moment for you and things were never the same after that. Well, yes, that's true. And this, that's just one of the thresholds. The deepest threshold, I believe, to cross in our humanity is the belief in separation, that we are separate from God. And, and that one was a really long journey for me in the loneliness of that, because that's the end result of where the, the mental body could only take me to the place of the loneliness. And, in, and the heart was the only place when I opened to that saying, okay, I get that. And when I felt that, for a long time, it was so painful, it opened me into the place of where I knew that I was no longer separate. That's nice. There's a line, yeah. in, the, there's a line in the Upanishads which goes, certainly all fear is born of duality. And uh, I think that's kind of what you're pointing at here. It's, there's, obviously, there would be a sort of a, a root fear if, if we're separate, if we're dual, if we're, if we're separated from God, because we're always vulnerable, you know? I mean, if, if there's me and other, there's always the chance that other can hurt me or something, yeah. you know? But if it's only, if it's unified, then wh what can hurt what? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, here, here comes a question. Amanda from Tampa, Florida asks, what do you think about when past trauma becomes physical pain affecting the nervous system and the brain? For example, arthritic disease, fibromyalgia, anxiety, and depression. The triggers are super raw and vulnerable. Even in it, I feel like I'm supposed to go through it, not suppress it, and be in a safe self-control space for healing. Thank you. Yeah, so we always recommend when someone's at, well, we call it on the edge that Amanda's on with her, her pain and her awareness that she's been invited to go through it, to get the support, you know, to get the support, someone to hold space for her, someone that is able to help move her through the process of releasing. You know, we're on this incredible planet together. So there's quite a beautiful expression when we come together in that movement, the uh, threshold Amanda's going through. Absolutely. There's a, there's a, 
rebirth wanting to happen in her, a complete movement in her whole body, physical, spiritual, energetic, everything that's moving in her now. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said earlier, you know, the pain gets our attention. So in the place of the pain, it's a it's a fearful place to be. It can be at times because we don't know what to do with it. And in the willingness to feel it and to allow it to work its way out in you and to be with that emotional body, what's underneath the pain? So that's that's the place to look is what's beneath the pain that's wanting to move. The emotion. Yeah. So the emotional body is wanting to move. Yeah. And like you were saying before, Patricia, there's various things you can do to help yourself. Exercise, walking, you know, maybe yoga, diet, all kinds of things. So um, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you pull a table by any one leg and the rest of the legs come along. So, but maybe if you can pull several legs at once, the table is going to move even more easily. So, so I imagine somebody like Amanda has already looked into a lot of things uh, that might be helpful. But it's just good to keep in mind, you know, we don't have to sort of just use one tool. There can be a variety Absolutely. of things that can yes. be helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. And for Amanda, I just want to say you may want to journal about what emotion is there. Sit with in kind of a meditation state and do the inquiry and see, like Bill said, if there's emotion under the pain. It's almost like you're diving in a pool and just see what emotion may be stirring there. And then there's a release that she can move with if it happens for her when it happens. So she doesn't have to try to contain it. Mm-hmm. Good. I just want to make a wrap-up point about that point I was making earlier about the sort of the higher reaches of emotional development in terms of devotion and, and so on. And there's like a thing, you know, in, in spiritual circles that some people say, oh, well, don't be seeking some glorious future attainment, you know, because you'll be just be forever chasing the dangling carrot, you know, realize that you've sort of got it right here. Uh, but on the other hand, there are these examples of, you know, sort of spiritual luminaries who apparently attain something quite marvelous. And I think you can kind of balance both. Um, it's, it's, you know, obviously every day is life and we don't pass over the present for some glorious future, but it's good to have a vision of possibilities also and to, to realize that, you know, there's a, a great range of potential unfoldment, which can be quite, quite wonderful um, as, we, as we undergo it. And it's available for anyone. You know, it's not available for a selected few. Like these people, you know, that are the different on-earth avatars, people that hold love, you know, they, that, that is their calling to offer who they are to the world. And that, there's a calling in each of our hearts. So it's available for everyone. And what Bill said earlier, too, to maybe add a language to support people in this, is it's something we open to. So instead of reaching to, open to it. Because everything in your life happening right now in the moment, whatever it looks like, is supporting that calling in your heart, is supporting that opening. You're actually in an opening. You may just not recognize that it's that. Yeah. Yeah. What we may be looking for or seeking is actually already happening. In us, right at this moment. Yeah. Say like for instance, people say, Well, I don't believe. Well, belief is happening anyway, irregardless of what I think or what my opinion is or how I think it should be, it's happening anyway. Creation is continually in movement. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, if, if someone were to say to me, don't, I don't believe, I would say, well, you don't need to. Just experience. You know, I mean, this is a scientific process. And if you, you, know, if, if you don't believe that you know, an apple tastes sweet or something, then bite the apple and, and you'll, that will confirm or refute whatever attitude you have about it. So we're talking about an experiential thing here, not just a belief or an attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to mention, because a lot comes with belief, the other uh, uh, word that comes in often is trust. Well, in getting to know self and the depths of who you are, trust is built from there. Once we can trust our own being with our own heart and our own being, trust begins to open for us. So our mind would like to see affirmation or see proof that there is trust outside of us. How trust is built is from the core of our being. We build trust into life, each and every person. And would you say, related to the point I just made, that trust is sort of, the foundation of trust is experience? Yes. Yeah, like if somebody comes to you for a weekend and they've never met you before and maybe they don't trust you, and, but after they've been through a weekend with you, hey, you know, these, these people are okay, I, I trust them, I'll come back from another, for another weekend. And then the next weekend, they, they start out, you know, a step ahead of where they were the previous time because they've already built some experiential foundation. Absolutely, and you know, we've had a world that's operating pretty at a pretty primitive state still. We yeah. have many beautiful things happening. Simultaneously, there's a lot of primitive yeah. uh, state of relating. Very so, contrasting world. Yeah, so when we meet and we're talking about heart space and we're relearning the language inside of us, it takes time to have that, that sort of that availability, right? That trust, so to speak, like you just explained. So what we present is that we're building a bridge. So they're on mm-hmm. one side, we're on the other side, and we're building a, a plank at a time. Yeah. And whether it's the weekend or later down the road, we meet in the middle with them when they mm-hmm. meet themselves. Yeah, like you were saying earlier, you don't do this all in one day. There's layer yeah. after layer after layer after layer. And Absolutely. you know, I, I think each... I mean, there are people who like to say things like, oh, you're already enlightened, just realize that and you're done. But I don't think that's realistic. I don't think they know what they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> there is there's kind of this progressive unfoldment that, that takes place. And, uh, and each new layer is a new layer of trust and, exper- and you know, genuine experience. And getting to know self. I mean, what are we here for? We're here yeah. in this physical body, in this being, in this Patricia. I want to get to know all of this universe inside of me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a tall woman. I'm six foot tall. So there's a lot for me to get to know in here. (laughs) There's always in a constant state of shifting, movement, change, dissolving, growing, you know, aspects coming forward, movement, healing. So that's the invitation Mm -hmm. for everyone. If there was a shortcut to this, I would have found it. Let me tell you, I looked and looked and looked at so many different, maybe 30 years of chasing the tail, so to speak, only to come to the place of realizing that it was always here. It was always here. I just didn't know how to access it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, what you were saying a minute ago about, reminded me of just the point that 
people like Ramana Maharshi or Jesus Christ or anybody else who's some you know great enlightened famous dude. I mean, we're just as much rooted in the divine as they are, and permeated by it, and so on. It's just a matter of maybe they've become a little bit more aware of the connection. But we all, as you, that's what you were saying, you, that we all have the capacity or the potential to become aware of that connection to, experientially, again, not just in, but in belief. But we all have, if we have a human nervous system, we already have what it takes to you know, become a, an embodiment of divine consciousness. It's not like, a, like you were just saying, it's not the province of a select few. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it will always be our choice. Like every day, that's an expression of how deep is your yes. You know, that helps us remind us, oh, we're not to get kind of involved in the world. And it's, the world is quite in a hurried pacing right now. But that yes helps us bring it back to center and go, oh, right. How deep is this moment, that yes in me? When you think about the world and see what's going on in it, um, from, what, from your knowledge and experience doing what you do and you know, considering everything you've gone through in your own development, do you sort of see trends and, and you know, symptoms of deeper issues? For instance, it's a, the opioid epidemic is a big deal these days, and, and NBC News has been doing a series on it recently, and how you know it kills more people than any other cause now, I think, at least in a certain age group, more than car accidents or you know just about anything else. And, and that obviously is a, it's a strange phenomenon. People are trying to numb out. They're trying to right. just, they're just trying to shut down, and obviously it doesn't work too well. So. Do you have any kind of sense of societal trends, uh, both current and future, like where we might be going? And I don't know, do you get insights like that? Yeah, I, I often do. So here's the thing. We've had, we're just creatures of contraction. So we've had to come in, so in this human form so away from, far away from who we are in our inner being to realize that we've actually been far away from it. So now we're moving into this availability, just like having the conversation you and I right in this moment. Even though we're on this computer and you're thousands of miles away, I feel we're on in the living room. We're speaking. We're connecting. We're following this wave, what's working with us and all the viewers that are listening or will listen. So I, that it's been the lack of connection. The lack of connection and the knowing what to do with the pain someone's feeling. And the beings, you know, we are fortunate to work with all ages, younger people. And they're coming in so bright with so much consciousness into a world that still wants to put them in a box. The old systems aren't working. We witness it everywhere now in the world openly. And so those old systems are being challenged. And yet, new systems are awakening from that. We were just in an event yesterday where a group of young uh, families, 10 of them, 12 of them, 12. got together and bought property and they are building, living together. You know, they've got the ecosystem, they've got their food, they do it all by council. 
They do it all. They've agreed that they all come together. And one that the agreement is that they will always do transformational work. They'll always bring in mentors. They'll always keep working on themselves. They'll always come into the agreement. Everyone's raising the children. All of them different have talents that they offer, you know. And then from that, a young man is working with a nonprofit where he goes and works with people and they do clusters. So they've, they've done the research that 12 people together is in a gathering is when you can really hear and connect with each other. So building clusters and communities and a community is something like 144. I forget the numbers, so don't quote me on that. But 144 is the max that a human being can be in before they feel disconnected. Huh. Interesting. And they're that's building a, uh, homes. And 12 is the square root of 144. So it's kind of yeah. interesting that number works that yeah. way. Yeah, and uh. actually people come to know each other. And it becomes a, a family of where they're so accountable to everything. And, you know, they've really set up the groundwork where, you know, because together we're more. Say like the, these people, they, they talked about it for years about getting a piece of property. The property they discovered was a million dollars. It had four homes on it. So between five of them, they came up with a down payment, like $13,000 each, whatever the figure was. They put it down on the property. They created a corporation, so they all pay rent to the corporation. And now they're solarizing. Uh, they're, they've just found a way to make it because the average home in San Diego is like 500000 basic home. So five of them, that would have been $2.5 million. So for $13,000, they, they live on a 10-acre piece of property. And they welcome diversity. So they're from all backgrounds. They have all their different talents, the artist, the firefighter, you know, from all different walks of life. And in this council, they come together. So they have committed to the connection. They've committed that they're going to see it through. You know, when the, when the unconscious comes up, they have systems in place to support the healing of that. Because it will, because we're human beings. So, so it's, about, it's about connection. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my main takeaway from this is something you said, which is that as the old systems break down and, or prove totally inadequate, and, uh, you know, it's going to result in the, in the so to sp- under the radar um, emergence of, yes. of much more creative and innovative and, and effective ways of doing things, which, you know, it'll probably take a long time before that makes the news, but this, this stuff is just going to crop up spontaneously out of the, out of the sort of the vacuum <laughs> that the old systems are creating. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at our world, right? How, in most cities, how seniors are treated, how parenting is treated, there's separation there from reality, you know, People are alone that where could be connected more together. So this is what's growing more is that opening, that uh, desire, that willingness to connect at deeper levels with self and others in life. Yeah, that's great. I have some quotes here. Feel free to bring up anything from your side that I'm not thinking to ask. But I have some notes from reading your blog posts. And who is Alex Reyes? He, he had some things on your blog. Is that somebody that works with you or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He had some interesting points. Oh, he, so he helps us. So he takes our writing 
yeah. and implements it. <laughs> okay. Puts it on the website, yeah. Good. Here's something from Rumi that kind of summarizes what you've been saying. He said, your task, and this is from something you wrote, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. I mean, that's a good point right there. I mean, relationships and, you know, finding love in life are very important to people and, you know, doesn't often work out for people and so on. I guess that what this does is it, it redirects the search from an outer-directed one to an inner-directed one. Find what the barriers are, remove them within yourself, and, and in other words, seek within and then... Well, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven within, and all else will be added unto thee. You got it. Yeah. So remember in the very beginning we were talking about protectors? Well, often relationships, and we were talking about, are creatures of contraction. So we feel into what doesn't work first. (laughs) Before we come into awareness that there might be a different way, you know, that there's possible. So with relationships, a lot of relationships are still reactionships. You know, so there's still, so it's one protector and the other protector in communication. So the aspect of self that hasn't healed, they're, they're start, they, it starts to uh, direct the relationship or reactionship, you know. So what we find and what we um, offer is what you said, is move into self first. Let's release some of those barriers so you can truly be all of you in relationship into that deep connection. Yeah. Marshi Mahesh Yogi used to say that relationships are based on giving and that if two people come together both wanting to take, then nobody gets anything because both are trying to take, nobody's giving. You know, yeah. but, but if if two people come together sort of with the capacity to give and you know with the intention of giving and with no concern for what they're going to get, then both receive because, you know, both are giving. Absolutely. Absolutely. And receiving. And receiving, yeah. The receiving is so pertinent and important, you know. It's it's the the dance, the giving-receiving. Both of those create more opening, create that that, uh, fluid energy that helps move us. That's the balance. It has to be equal, the giving and receiving in life. Some people are great givers, you know, even in the conscious world, and they become exhausted because they're so busy giving, and they the very thing they're giving, it's the opportunity to give it to self. And that's the receiving. We have to be able to receive in order to give, and vice versa. Yeah. Well, also, it's like Patricia was saying earlier, she needs to have her downtime, her hiking, her meditating, stuff like that, to recharge her batteries. You can't just give and give and give without recharging your batteries. Yep. So how long have you two guys been together? Hmm. 13 years now? 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. And um, presumably you've been married before to other people and this yeah. and that. And, you know, just out of curiosity, how did you meet? And um, you know, what, is your, what are your day-to-day lives like as these, <laughs> you know, you're these teachers of having open hearts and everything? What, what is your experience like with each other on a daily basis? Well, I met um, Bill when I was with a friend in San Diego on vacation because I'm from Canada. So I met Bill and when I met him, I felt him. And at that point in my life, I had um, 
decided that he, uh, what it, I wasn't going to be looking for a relationship. It was just if it came. Because I was really having my strong, strong path with God for me at that time. And so that was my number one. And when I met Bill, I recognized that in him. He also had that for himself. And one thing we have in common was is horses. So we, so we went horseback riding and and we just, you know, it started to unfold. I was still living in Canada, raising my children. He was still living here. And so back and forth. And through that, eventually, we began to offer our work, what we offer now together. In the beginning, that wasn't, it wasn't a planned effort. It kind of evolved as the work evolved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have your tense moments and your, you know, oh, fights? Yeah. And then how do you deal with them when those arise? Well, you know, we're human beings, so, you know, sometimes we're on the road for quite a long time and we've done several workshops and you know we do sessions with people and you know we're just there's not that time in between sometimes to really go to that maintenance that we need and I'll you know a level of anger will come up and I'll express it and and then I I know that when I come up with that level of anger she just looks at me like where did that come from and I know when she's looking at me like this has nothing to do with you, me. So go take a look at it. And so I will take the responsibility for whatever's coming up in me and look at it. And then, of course, I'll come back to wherever we left off. And we, we have this thing in our relationship, what we call redos. I get to reapproach her from a different place because I've taken a look and say, oh, this is my anger. What's happening there? And then it'll come to me what it is. And, and I'll take a look at it, and then I let it go. And then I come back to Patricia, and I'll say, Hey, baby, or Hey, Patricia, I'm really sorry for that. How mm-hmm. can I make this up to you? Because, you know, our, I'm sorry is not enough. So I say, What can I do to make this up to you? And so she'll give me something to do to make it up. So that's one of the ways we do it. And, and, for, and on my side, when he's you know has this anger he's working through, I do the practices just like I encourage people to. I breathe, I ground, I meditate, you know, I, I walk, I stay open. Because one of my protectors is a, I withdraw, you know. So I do everything to stay expressed, to keep me present in the moment, no matter what is moving, what appears to be moving. And I know he's got this. You know, he's got this. And I also know with Bill is underneath the anchor for him is a vulnerability and awareness where there's an awareness that it's sort of embraced in vulnerability. So sometimes for him as Bill, as a man as in his path, he still works through being to the space of vulnerability. It's still mm-hmm. tender at times. Yeah. You know, sometimes when, you know, people talk about, not repressing anything, not suppressing anything, you know, express your emotions, express your anger, express whatever. How do you balance that with, let's say, discernment and discrimination? Because, you know, you can have the impulse to anger and you can just blurt it out and create bad feelings for a few days, or you can sort of say, well, I don't really need to say that, and then five minutes later the whole situation has changed and everything's fine. And you know. that's, a, that's a good question because we actually support people steering through that. So any moment that you're hurting another or yourself 
you're it's yeah it's uh it's move it's taken off it's getting carried away in that muck we were talking about earlier in the conversation so any moment that you're hurting another or hurting yourself there's something deeper going on and that person in front of you is not responsible to bring you through it you're responsible so for bill so he'll i'll i'll go for a walk i may for myself i may okay sweetheart I'm gonna go for a walk or he may say you know what I'm gonna go to the gym like so he knows the way that has him work through it and like I said as thumbprints everyone's a bit different so part of the balance for self is to find what supports you the deepest through each threshold and that's again we get to practice that during the weekends but really the it the the core of it is to find that for yourself in between the sessions, in between the weekends, so that you get strong in it, you know, so you get to know yourself. Yeah. Back in the, oh, were you going to say something, Bill? Yeah, you know, one of my protectors has been anger. And so I might have been born that way, I don't know, but it was my biggest learning is anger gave me momentary power in the moment when I didn't want to deal or look at something. And yet underneath that shield, you know, there was a level of sadness I didn't want to feel. And so in the place of what I finally started feeling the sadness, I was saying, God, am I ever going to come out of this? Do I really want to feel this? So I followed the track of the sadness and it brought me to the place what move, helps move the anger is opening to curiosity. See, anger, there's no room for curiosity. So I opened to loving curiosity to see is there another way to do this so that's the that's the protection is the anger the opening for me was being curious yeah back in the late 60s i was in an encounter group for a while and uh i hope everybody realizes that what you're doing is a far cry from what that was like i don't know but but it was brutal i mean there were there were just you know people ripping each other to shreds in the name of honesty and openness yeah. and um, you know sometimes very vulnerable young people just being bullied by much grosser tougher older people and i don't know it was just uh very crude um but i've listened to several hours of what you do and you know i, I just want to say that i don't get any sense of anyone being taken advantage of or like what you just said about not harming anyone i think that that sentiment is very much um functioning in your in your workshops there's a, a sense of just helping and healing and supporting not not any kind of confrontational um you know thing that anybody's going to be confronted with you know have to deal with yeah, yeah. you know Here's how I feel. I feel that every movement of consciousness, right? So we're in 2017. So we're not back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s even. Because all those, everyone, so people are mentors in the past, people that came before us, people that will be ahead of us. New consciousness is coming in all the time. So we don't have to fall back on old ways. We don't have to push in. Everything is here. If we are willing, if we feel the yes and we're willing to allow it to be revealed, you know, everything is here for us. Yeah, even that which you heard on the hours of tapes, our work has evolved even beyond that at this point. It's a whole different thing. We feel consciously as we connect and people come, 
is actually a current conscious update of what is moving in consciousness. And we collectively create that when all of the hearts come together. There's new consciousness that comes through that venue. That's an interesting statement. Uh, I find it interesting that you're, well, I guess this is probably true of most everyone, but I don't, I don't hear people articulate it that often, that their work is evolving. And, yes. that, and that it's evolving sort of like a, a surfer riding the wave of collective consciousness, you know, as it progresses. And it, perhaps it's, it's progressing more and more quickly. But that's interesting that you stay attuned to that. Yeah, absolutely. So we may have people that, um, uh, like I said, have visited us seven years ago, sat with us. And then they come back in and, they're, and there's no, as if no time has passed. Wherever they've been in seven years, they can dip back in with us. There's never like a, a, a catch-up or a feeling of separation. That's a good way to put it, too, is because we're moving with it. And I, I was smiling because on the Friday night, that's how we explain it. We're all riding the wave together. And Bill happens to be a surfer for many years, so it's a double meaning. <laughs> Yeah, and I imagine if they come back after seven years, if they remember what it was like seven years ago, they realize that your work has evolved since then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and our, that bridge of trust has already been uh, built. Yeah. And so they come in and they're what we call the, the popcorn, you know. They come in and it's boom! Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, as we start to speak half an hour into the event, right? Because yeah. they just have no holding back. Hmm. Yeah. One thing I often heard you say during the seminar recording that I listened to is you'd often say, "They're telling me this," or you know, as and I got the impression you were indicating that they were sort of subtle beings that that you were kind of attuned to or channeling or hearing, getting input from or something. What's what's up with that? Yeah. So that's how energy works with me it comes in as energy it comes in so what we see is that every heart in the room you know has called in this opening for themselves so as we all sit together in this collective consciousness many beings are with us in the unseen world in the seen world um, I don't spend a lot of time speaking of channeling or if there's uh, someone that's passed over in the room unless it's pertinent to that person's opening at that moment because I feel that people can get kind of lost there sometimes. And, and where, what I've been um, asked and, and supported to do is really to focus on the heart. So I'll, however that opens, whatever wave I'm riding with that person, so their heart opens. Yeah. And so whatever wave somebody's in, if they're going through a huge process of fear and trauma, we're right there with them. We feel, we feel right into the place they're in, and as they're weeping, we may weep with them because we feel them so deeply. And so when they know their support there, where they've been and somebody else has felt it, they're more willing to trust and to let go so they can move through it. So we walk right through it with people. If they're in hell, we go right there with them and we help move or guide them to move through it. But we're right there with them. We don't leave anybody behind in their experience. But I, I guess I sort of get the sense it's a team effort, though, not just the two of you, but these subtler beings that, that yeah. Pat Patricia is, is attuned to 
Um, there's, and do you actually feel that sometimes? You feel like, okay, we're just sort of instruments of the divine, and there's there's a much sort of larger intelligence or intelligences that are guiding us and motivating us and working through us in order for us to have the the effect that we manage to be catalysts for. I feel that all the time. Yeah. Uh, we have a structure or a container for the room, but the moment we start, we know we're instruments. Patricia moves out of the way. She may get fed or sleep, but everything is just in the grace of God. And it's not predicted from here, from Patricia. It's not predicted. I know that whatever comes is this divine, sacred moment of healing. And I know that each heart could have waited thousands of years for this healing, the core of it healing. So without a doubt, I know I am an instrument. Yeah, I surrender to it. You know, the beginning of my early life, I didn't surrender so well. So it's taken me years of opening, surrendering, allowing to be at the place that I am today in this moment. Yeah. What we feel is that we do 5% of the work and God, divinity, the intelligence does the other 95%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of feel like that way myself. Um, I sort of feel like anybody who's really doing something to serve the spiritual awakening of mankind it g gains a lot of support from you know perhaps unseen absolutely you know places but that there's there's a sort of a um I don't know if agenda is the right word a sort of a an imperative or a a motivation from from divine intelligence to bring about this awakening and anybody who wants to be on that team you know, gets gets a great deal of support yeah. by join, just just by joining. <laughs> Absolutely, and they get sort of on the fast track. <laughs> so their life's to their mind can appear broken or not working, but we're actually seeing it as the invitation. Actually, nothing's working because divine is speaking to you so clearly, so powerfully. There's just a few filters in the way that you can't receive it quite yet. You mean any anybody in particular who who embarks on the spiritual path, or you as teachers, or what do you mean by no, that? No, no, I mean people that come and sit with us. We sit with you, them. right? Yeah. So not because it's Bill and Patricia. We don't have that much uh, clout, <laughs> but in the near mere nature of the sacredness of when we come together as a collective, as a group, that everybody's sitting in the room, no matter how their world looks to them is getting a very powerful invite to be an instrument of evolution. Right. Yeah, that's good. And they're not there by accident. Absolutely. No. You know, we have people that all of a sudden drive up, you know, and they're in tears and they're saying, I don't even know why are here. we're here. I'm here. But before I knew it, I was driving here. And then we have others that say, I wasn't going to come. I wasn't going to come. You know, we go, yeah, we know. Okay, let's ground and breathe. So do you, um, what is the range of your teaching activity? Just up and down the West Coast, or where do you go? Yeah, so we go, um, so we have a, a smaller group in Berkeley and San Francisco. We go to Olympia, Washington. We've been going there quite regularly. Spencer. And, uh, Seattle. And Seattle. And we're beginning to open in Vancouver, Washington. 
and we're being asked to um, open in San Diego. Usually we come to San Diego to rest, <laughs> but we're being asked now to open here, so we'll see. Um, and one big adventure we're having is we're actually going to take a group, a small group of 12 people to Bali. And so that's the end of October. So we have a friend that lives, she lives between Bali and India. She's a healer herself. So she's hosting us for the 12 people. Yeah. yeah. It'll be a seven, eight day adventure. Yeah. Is that one already signed up for or, or are there that openings? Will, there's openings and there, we're, I'll get that up and going by tomorrow, Monday. And we yeah. also have other openings in Canada. We're on two islands, Van, Van Victoria. Uh, Bowen Island, and we've just been invited to the east coast of Ottawa, Canada. So that's our newest opening now is the east coast of Canada and Vancouver. Yeah, I was up there a couple of years ago and went to Bowen to stay with a friend and did an interview there, um, Canella Michelle Myers, and then went over to uh, Vancouver Island and did a retreat with a fellow named Lauren Huff and did a couple of interviews there. So real nice folks up there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So people watching this, then, if they happen to live on the east, I mean, you're, you also, I guess, do things over Skype and all, right? Or, over Zoom, yeah. Zoom, and yeah. We, we offer um, a twenty-minute. So anybody, if they just want to speak to us, and we can, you know, really inquire if this what we offer will support them. So a twenty-minute, and so they can just email us, and we can arrange if they can say their name, where they're from. I mean, I'm always curious how they heard about us, right? So, yeah. Yeah, well, right now 115 people are hearing about you, and there'll be many more once I put this interview up. Um, so they can get in touch, and I'll, I'll be linking to your website, of course, as I always do with, with these interviews. And I, 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 Yeah, sure. I just want to mention one thing. Like, we really work with all ages. We have a woman that's turning 90. We've worked like with a young teenage person, and all cultures, all and people even coming from religion are still having a very devoted religious path. We work with everyone, even if you've never done anything like this before, or have done this a long, long time. Hmm. Just so people know that it, no one is excluded. Everyone's right. welcome. Yeah. Do you sometimes encounter people whom you feel are? more seriously troubled than you're equipped to deal with and you refer them to a absolutely some yeah. psychiatrist or somebody like that yeah yes. we have a handful of people we recommend to people yeah yeah and mm. then we actually actually come on sometimes as a team so if someone is uh you know has mental illness they'll mm -hmm. have their psychiatrist they might have like a counselor on top of that and we'll come on as one of the team members so we work uh -huh. with a team so anyone, like I said, we're, we'll make sure they're supported properly. Good. Great. Yeah. And when you have these retreats, how many people are typically on them? We don't take more than 16. So no, it's, it's usually, nice and small, yeah. Yeah. So it's usually 14 to 16 people. Mm. Okay. Great. Good. Well, I hope that's given everybody a taste of, of what you're about and what you have to offer or a boat, as you would say, from Canada. Um, <laughs> is there anything that you feel like is important that we haven't thought to discuss in this in this interview? I feel like we've covered a lot. Thank you. Because yes. I'm new to interviews, you know, so this is exciting. And 
I really appreciate your inquiry. Yeah, your questions were really great. I mean, I'm, I'm not much of a person to sit and talk for an hour and a half. Questions are what really inspire me and spark me to go deep within to bring my gift out. So I really, I really feel you asked us really great questions. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. I had a, another page of notes with all kinds of points from one of Alex's articles and uh, another one of your articles on the on the site. But I think we kind of covered those, and it would be a little bit redundant to go into them. So, but there are some blog posts on your site that people can read. And, and do you do any kind of a um, like a weekly or monthly webinar kind of thing, where you know, like on Zoom, where twenty people might be on there and you're having a uh, session? Or yeah. So what we could. It, when they um, go to our website, they'll get four meditations from us. When they registered for the, they can register for You're those. Free. They're just given to them to support them, whatever they're going through. And they're like 10 minutes long. And we have a newsletter that we're going to put out just every two months. And about every three months, we organize a virtual call is what we call it. So we haven't set those dates yet. We have some things shifting and moving. So once we have uh, the dates, we would put them up on our website or and send them out on in the newsletter for people to know. Okay. And if people get on your email list, obviously they can be notified of that. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Great. All right, thanks. Uh, so let me just wrap it up. I've, I've been speaking with Bill and Patricia, or Patricia and Bill, it works both ways, Clum. <laughs> and... Uh, this you'll be able to click through to their website from their page on Buddha at the Gas Pump. And you might as well just say what your website domain is. What is it? So it's evolutionoftheheart.com. Okay, evolutionoftheheart.com. And um, this obviously is an ongoing series of interviews. So if you'd like to be notified of future ones, Either subscribe on the YouTube channel, and YouTube will notify you. And I'd like it if I'm encouraging people to do that anyway, because once I reach a certain level of subscribers on YouTube, I get a lot more support from YouTube. There's like YouTube representatives that work with you and everything. So subscribe if you haven't, or else you can also uh, sign up to be notified by email on on, on the Batgap site. And this also exists as an audio podcast uh, if you like to listen while you commute and and things. And just go to the website and poke around through the different menus and you'll find various other things that we, we offer. So thanks for listening or watching. Next week I'll be speaking with a very interesting woman named Jude Kuravan who has a master's degree in quantum physics and cosmology, a PhD in archaeology because she wanted to study the cosmology of ancient cultures. She began like attuning to higher beings when she was four years old. She's worked in the world of business at very high levels in the world. And just as, as she's a healer, I mean, very interesting person. I'm, I'm reading her book right now, so that'll be next week's interview. And if you look on our upcoming interviews page, you'll see all the future ones as we schedule them. So thanks, Bill and Patricia. It's really been good spending time with you. You too. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. You're welcome. And thanks again to those who've been listening or watching, and we'll see you next week.